This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Devon Franklin, welcome to Viral Jesus. My father died when I was nine years old. He died of a heart attack when he was 36. And so my mother was a single mom at the point, a widow, uh, and she had three boys. So here she was trying to figure out like, okay, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna raise these kids? From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. The United States is one of the world's highest rates of children living in a single parent household. Nearly a quarter of kids grow up in single parent homes. And interestingly, even when we look at these stats by religious affiliation, they're the same. So there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to single parent households. Today, we will talk to someone who was raised by not just their mother, but a village of women who encouraged and supported him. So when I started this podcast, there were, of course, people that I was like, man, it would be so amazing if I got to sit down and have a conversation with this person. Most of you who follow me closely, you know that while some people are really good at being chill and playing it cool, I am not that. I have zero chill. So I am going to be honest with you and tell you that today's guest is someone whose career I have been watching for a long time, whose art I am such a big fan of and whose books have really inspired me. And I cannot wait for you to meet him. Devon Franklin serves as president and CEO of Franklin Entertainment, a dynamic production company in conjunction with Paramount Pictures and CBS TV Studios. His films have grossed over a hundred and seventy five million at the box office. He's the driving force behind some of Hollywood's most successful inspirational films, including Breakthrough, which was a fantastic film with Chrissy Metz from This Is Us and Miracles from Heaven. He is the author of It Takes a Woman. And in this riveting and soul stirring audible original author and Hollywood insider Devon Franklin introduces us to the women who raised him a village of love that selflessly came together to shape him into the man he is today in the wake of his father's tragic death. With this heartfelt memoir, Franklin inspires listeners to celebrate the universal power of women and embrace his village as their own. So something I like to do to start the show is to do a little stalking of the person's social media account. So for you, Devon, I went to your Instagram. And here's what I've pulled for you. You say this, repeat after me, I will become everything God has called me to be. That mm-hmm. post has nearly 100,000 likes on it. And what I love about it is it speaks to your commitment to encourage people either through your books or your films or through speaking to just live a faithful life. My question mm-hmm. for you is, did you always know what God was calling you to be? Or is this something that you've kind of stumbled into? What did like 10-year-old Devon think his life was going to look like? You know, that's a great question. I mean, wow, at 10, I I think at that time I was wanting to play football. You know, okay. I originally wanted to be a running back for the Dallas Cowboys. 
And then, uh, but I was always in the church. My mother raised us in the church. Okay, wait, but did you, did you play football? No, no, I tried out and, uh, and got hurt in practice and scrimmage. Okay. I, I never made my debut. And once I got that out of my system, I was like, okay, I know I got to go to Hollywood because <laughs> I was always passionate about film. So okay. at 10 years old, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't uh, yeah, I don't think I was committed to like being everything God called me to be per se. I think I was just more yeah. focused on I want to play football. And then, and then when that didn't pan out, I felt like, oh, okay. And then as I grew into my faith, uh, my teenage years, I think that's when I came into more of an awareness of like, oh, well, I want to do this, but I also want to do it with God. I got you. I want to read something here from your latest book, which is called It Takes a Woman. Here's a description of it. It says this, for the first time publicly, Franklin and his family discussed the aftermath of his father's untimely death and the despair that could have destroyed their future. It Takes a Woman offers listeners an emotional journey of tragedy, triumph, and healing as Franklin, his mother, and his five living great aunts recall how the women heeded the call to help raise him and his two brothers. What does the title of that book mean, It Takes a Woman? What made you title it that? It's a takeoff of It Takes a Village. I mean, there's the African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. And I believe that. And I also believe it takes a woman. Mm. Using kind of a a take on that very familiar proverb uh, was a way for me to really highlight not only the women in my family, but women in general. Yeah. I think a lot of times women don't get the, their just due in terms of the role they play in our culture, community, our families, our churches even. And so just the title, It Takes a Woman, uh, not only functions as a great way to talk about what my book's about, but it's also, to me, an affirmation to acknowledge and give credit where credit is due. What did that look like in your life? What role did women play in shaping yeah. the person that we see today? Oh, man. I mean, everything. Uh, you know, I talk about in the book, in, in the Audible book, my father died when I was nine years old. Uh, he died of a heart attack when he was 36. Mm. And so it was- um, I'm sorry. Really my, oh, no, thank you. It's all right. God had a plan. And so my mother was a single mom at the point, a widow. Uh, and she had three boys because I'm the middle child of three boys. There's, there's oh. an older, I have an older brother and a younger brother. So here she was trying to figure out like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to raise these kids? And so she got help from my grandmother and my grandmother's seven sisters. And so all of wow. them, you know, really surrounded me and my brothers and gave us, you know, the foundation and the outlet and, and the hope that we needed in order to, you know, transition successfully into manhood. So, so much of who I am and what I know has a lot to do with the impact of those women in my life. And five of my great aunts are still alive. My grandmother and two aunts uh, passed away years ago, but five are still alive. Those five are featured in this book along with my mother. So when the listener hears this book, they hear the voices of, of all six, my mother and my five great aunts. The youngest is uh, 75 and the oldest is 95. What is maybe an example in your life where you felt that absence that, but then these women were able to fill? Do you have like an example or a story in your life where you realize, okay, there's a big void here, but I'm so grateful that I have these people? Yeah, well, you know, I don't think as a kid, I don't know that I was that self-aware. Okay. You know what I mean? As a kid, you don't know how it's supposed to be. So, Mm. you know, I just took it as it came. Like, oh, okay. You know, there's a chapter in the book called Tissue Paper. And I talk about how my my grandfather was the one, you know, when we were growing up, he started to call me and my brother's tissue paper because we were spending so much time with my grandmother and my aunts. We call them the village. We were spending so much time with the village that he said, oh, you know, you all are going to become soft. 
Uh, and so that was probably the first time that I was even aware of like, you know, oh, wow, we're spending a lot of time with these women. But at the same time, we just kind of laughed it off because we just were like, nah, it's too late now. We love them. They love us. You know, <laughs> you know we still have my grandfather and my uncles to a degree, but we, we were always connected with my aunts. Uh, always, you know, so it's one of those things that it wasn't until then where I had some awareness like, oh, okay, they are filling a void for sure. Mm. But I don't think I was very cognizant of what that void was maybe till I got older. And as I look at the void, and I talk about this in the book, that it was just really more about giving us a place to feel heard and to really connect emotionally because our aunts were very, you know, just positive and, and affirming and would always show up and always encourage us and ask us how we're feeling and ask us how we're doing. And so being able to have that emotional connection, there was a void there that they absolutely feel. But certainly I wasn't aware of that in the moment. It wasn't as until I've gotten older and had a chance to reflect that I could really understand that. You said earlier that you were raised in the church. Mm -hmm. What did your childhood look like in connection to church? Oh my goodness, the childhood was crazy. (laughs) I was raised in the church. I was raised in, well, originally I was raised in the church in, in Richmond, California called Beacon Light. It was a Seventh-day Adventist church uh, where my mother was, uh, was had, had, she was raised in Beacon Light. And so we were going there. And then we started to go to Philadelphia and STA church in San Francisco. And then pastor of that church who became my uncle, Dr. DJ Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah. He started his own independent ministry uh, the same year my father died. So mm-hmm. You know, that was called Wings of Love, and that's still around to this day on 70th and MacArthur in East Oakland. And so having Wings of Love uh, and, and being in the church really what gave me a phenomenal, you know, outlet to live and to grow and to, to really mature spiritually and really come into a better understanding of exactly who I was and who God wanted me to be. And, and having that as a foundation has really contributed to my success because so much of, of who I am and what I do has everything to do with being raised in the church and, and uh, not only the spiritual lessons, but specifically at Wings of Love, because it was a family church for the most part, we all chipped in. You know, it was, you know, I learned how to open up the church and, mm. you know, I was on the direct the choir. I gave my first sermon there. I learned to play the drums there. I would, you know, would deacon and usher and clean up downstairs. So, so much of the skills that I ultimately applied to my career in Hollywood, I learned uh, in the church. So the church and, and having that upbringing has, has impacted me not only spiritually, but also emotionally and professionally. What was it like as you were writing this book and looking back over your life? Was there any memories or moments that had faded or you didn't really remember? And then as you were writing this book, it came back and it just felt like it was you were experiencing it again for the first time. Was there any moments like that? Yeah, every moment. I mean, this Okay. Doing an audiobook is a new experience because all of my books up until this point have really been written with the reader in mind. So I want to hear about this difference actually. Talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah, there's a big difference. It's like, you know, the way that I construct the book in my in my head and as I'm writing for a reader is just very different than constructing it for the listener. Mm. You know, when I was writing this book and putting it all together, because what happened on the on this audio book, it takes a woman. I wrote the manuscript and just laid the foundation. And then I went in and did interviews with each of my mother and my five great aunts individually. To start those interviews, I read them the introduction that I had written. 
the introduction was a great icebreaker. It made each one of them emotional because I talked about the morgue, you know, being in the morgue when my father passed away. Oh, wow. That's where it starts. So I just literally took them right there. And that then started a lot of emotions in them because it took mm-hmm. them back to the moment, remembering what it was like when he passed away. And so I did those interviews independently. And then those interviews went so well and got so deep and were so transparent that then I had to rewrite the entire book. And so uh, I got a transcript of their dialogue. And then I took, I mean, their, their answers in each interview and then took those answers and crafted the story and then wrote around what they were saying and added pieces here. So, but it was all towards what's going to be moving to the listener. How am I going to engage listener? Because with an audiobook, it's about keeping someone's attention. Mm. If it was just approached like I normally would approach, which is more advice, uh, I think that it would probably not be as successful as a book because advice is fine, but what really gets our attention from an auditory standpoint are great stories. And so this was really about the storytelling and getting people into that. And so that's really the fundamental difference in terms of how I approached each. I just want to affirm you. I'm a communication professor. And that's what we always say is communication always starts with the audience. Mm. If you want to be a good communicator, you always think about first who you're talking to before you even think about the message. Who's the person that you're talking to? You lost your dad. You say that the book starts with you in the morgue. What was that season of life like? This is a massive trauma. Mm -hmm. What was that season of life for you? From what I remember of it, because I don't remember all of it, but I do really? remember pieces. Yeah, it was traumatic. Yeah, it was difficult. It was awkward. Mm. Very aware, you know. I mean, my father was not in the house consistently when we were growing up. He was, you know, a lot of time drinking and mm. was out of the house, you know. So that was already difficult. And then his passing, we felt the sting, and in the, in the, me and my brothers definitely felt the sting of his death. And that year, you know, I just just remember. You know, and we also knew my mother was very sad. She was devastated. So there was a sadness, you know, in our house and that created some discomfort. Like, you know, I don't really know how to deal with all of this. I don't really know how to process this. And it was a blessing that Wings of Love started the same year because it did give us a more positive outlet. But it was very difficult and awkward and uncomfortable is probably a great word. What would you say to somebody who's still in that season right now? of grief and difficult and uncomfortable. What would you say to somebody who's sitting in that right now? I would say it's okay. It's okay Mm. to be there. It's okay to sit in it. Don't rush through it. Sift through it. Mm. Because sometimes when those emotions hit us and what we would sometimes deem a negative emotion, if it's grief or sadness, uh, a lot of times we want to move through that or we don't want to feel that. Yeah. But in feeling it, we can heal from it. And so I would just encourage someone that it's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. Like, there's no need to judge yourself for how you're feeling. Uh, if you're grieving, a lot of times the level of your grief is at the exact measure at the level of your love. So if you mm. love someone and you've lost them, no matter how you've lost them, then you're going to grieve in, in equal proportion. And so uh, it's OK. And that's all right. And that's part of the process. That's part of life. That's part of growth. That's part of healing. Uh, and so I would just encourage that person to be where they are, when they are, and to find that OK. My sister was a single mom for several years. And so I'm very passionate about this community. And I try to be very intentional about how I deal with single moms in my classroom. What would you say to a woman right now who is finding herself in a situation that she never thought she'd be in? 
and she's raising three boys or one child and and is just feeling so defeated, what encouragement could you give to them based on your own experience? Yeah, you know, I, the encouragement is is one, listen to this book. It takes a yes. while. You hear literally Amen. how a single mother and my and my mother was able to be successful and, yeah. and what she did and the challenges that she faced, but also, you know, her hope at that time, her hope from day one, from we were born is the same thing, but it also took on a greater light when my father passed away, but it was, her hope was that we, when we became men, when we became adults, we would be okay. Mm. And so a lot of her sacrifices were geared around that question. Are my children going to be okay? And she did so many things at that time to do her best to ensure that we would be okay. And, and even me talking to you and doing this book is really the, the reaping of the seeds yeah. of sacrifice that she sowed 30 years ago. Uh, so I would encourage, you know, any single mom to just know that every sacrifice you make for your children is not in vain. Every sacrifice you make for your children is not forgotten. The things that you've had to do to go without, the lonely nights, the, the difficult moments, that I do believe that, that God will bless you and he will replenish what you have poured out. It's not, it, it may be different than how you poured it out, but the replenishment will come nonetheless. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. I have to ask this question because I am sure all these women in the book are so unbelievably proud of you. Right. Was there a moment in your life where you, you know, you finally felt like, okay, I, I think I've made it. I think this is it. And what does that look like? Do you call them? Like, was there like a phone call of you're not going to believe it? Or what was that moment like experiencing it with these same women who were pouring into you in your youth? Oh man, listen. It was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You know, I, it's like one of those moments when, you know, I would never say made it. You know what I mean? Really? Because I, I would, but okay. Oh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that way. I don't, I don't think that, oh, I've made it. You know, I think I got a long way to go, to be quite honest with okay. you. Okay. And I feel like I'm on some level just getting started. Mm. So, uh, yeah, in, in our conversations, it's like, hey, here are opportunities. What do you think? Are you cool? Yeah, you know, and everybody's excited about them. But, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe one day I'll feel like I've made it and I will, I will say, hey, I, now I feel like I've made it. I don't know. But right now I feel like I'm making it. I wouldn't say I've made it. Okay. Who are some Black women who have inspired you spiritually? Tell me about them. Yeah. I mean, outside of the women in my family, for sure, Oprah, you know, has been a major, you know, influence spiritually and 
personally, you know, she's really uh, just a incredible light and has been very helpful to me, especially in difficult moments and difficult seasons. And I'm just beyond grateful for her and her wisdom and her heart uh, and her love. You know, when I also look at, you know, spiritually, there was a minister, she's passed away now, but her name was Dr. Earlene Piper Mandy. She was a major, major voice uh, in Southern California in the Adventist world. And she was unbelievable. I mean, just a force of nature and her spirituality. I, I was a um, Growing when I first got to LA, she was one of the lead ministers at the church I was going to, and to be able to sit up underneath her and to learn and to grow was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And then you know you look at someone like Michelle Obama, you know, it's like when you see her yeah. and you look, at her and I say, okay, wow, you know, someone who just has so much dignity and class, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and um, but also just so transparent and accessible. So, you know, those are three um, off the top of my head uh, have really helped me and inspired me in many ways. Your whole book is about celebrating women. Was there a point for you professionally where a woman kind of opened a door for you or did something that you're like, hey, that was a turning point or a tipping point for me in my career? Oh, man. I mean, women have opened so many doors for me. I mean, really? oh, Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, so my first executive job, Tracy Edmonds, she gave it to me. She didn't have to, but she did. Mm. And then I got hired by a woman when I went to MGM. That was my first studio job. And then the chairman of Sony gave me an opportunity to come to Sony. Her name is Amy Pascal. She's you know, one of the most dynamic women in our business to this day. She produces the Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, she produced Far From Home and all, all the Spider-Man films. But at the time, she was the executive overseeing the Spider-Man films for Sony. And she uh, provided an opportunity for me to, you know, have a job there because MGM got sold to Sony at the time. Uh, she also was the one that gave me the opportunity to start my own company. Wow. And that I run now, Franklin Entertainment. So I would be nowhere <laughs> without women. So when I say it takes a woman, <laughs> I really mean it takes a woman and I'm so grateful. I love that. And I think it's so, it's so important. My first job in higher education, I'll never forget I had a my chair. And when he found out I was a Christian, he said to me, Heather, you're such a smart girl. I can't believe you would put yourself in a religion that demeans your gender. And so what would you say to that criticism of people who think of Christianity and they think of a demeaning place for women? And yet here you are, a Christian who's writing an entire book called It Takes a Woman. Yeah. You know, listen, I could understand that point of view, depending on what lens of Christianity they're looking through and then making adjustment based upon that lens. But I mean, let's just go to our faith. Jesus came through a woman. Mm -hmm. So clearly, if we just start and stop there, God clearly (laughs) thinks of women very highly because being God, he could have chosen any way to bring Jesus to the world, but he chose a woman Mm. And, and not just, you know, any woman. Um, you know, and also when you look at the role that women have played throughout uh, history and throughout the Bible and throughout our faith, I, I do see that Christianity, when you really look at the essence of what it is, uh, not even through religion, just through pure faith, you see that the power of women and the celebration of women. So I would say to someone like that, that you got to look at a different lens. Mm. And, uh, you know, maybe your lens is drawing an incorrect conclusion about what Christianity is about, specifically as it relates to women. I love that. What is something you've changed your mind on? Is there something that you used to hold really tightly and you're like, you know what? I've been rethinking this the last few years. I think I see this differently. What ways are you still growing? 
Hmm. I don't know if I have the answer to the first part, but in growing, you know, I'm growing every day, you uh-huh. know, every moment. I think that sometimes we resist opportunities to grow. So for me, I'm, I'm especially right now, I'm all, I'm all in a mode of anything that's happening to me is happening for me. It's happening for my growth. It's happening for my expansion. It's happening for mm. my understanding. It's happening for my maturity. So in that, you know, even when there's moments when I'm annoyed or frustrated, I am learning to pause and say, what's here for me? Mm. Okay, why is this happening? What, am, what can I learn from this? So I may not be able to control someone and what they say to me, but I can control my response. Got it. So this, is, this person is here to be a teacher, teaching me to have more patience, teaching me to communicate more effectively, teaching me to be patient. So I'm growing every moment. There's no moment that I'm, I'm not growing. And part of that growth is just embracing the moment, embracing right now and not judging it. A lot of times I've been guilty of judging, well, why am I here or why is this happening? Well, you know, I'm, I'm learning not to do that. Hey, this, no matter what, here we are. This is what's going on in the moment. So you can deny it or Devon, or you can be frustrated by it, or you can just accept it and say, how are you going to grow from it? So I'm choosing and learning to use these moments as growth opportunities to grow every day. I don't, I don't want to stop growing. I want to get to know who I am, who God created me to be. And I don't know that that can happen without growth. Yeah. What's your devotional life look like? What's your, do you have a certain routine with the Bible or with prayer? No, no, I don't. Because, because here's what I have found. Our minds are so smart, right? Like we're, our, our brain is brilliant. So what, what I've noticed is that if I get up in the morning and every day I get up, I pray, I read the word or I read a devotional thought and then I go to the gym and or then I'm, it's like the brain is so brilliant. It just goes on autopilot. Mm. It's the same equivalent of like if you know where you work, no matter where you live, you get in the car. Sometimes you wonder, how did I get to work? Yeah. Why? Because your subconscious took over. Your brain said, I got it. Don't worry. You can relax. We know how to get there. You get to work. He's like, wow, that was fast. I didn't even think about it. And so sometimes with a routine, a spiritual routine that I have repeated, it's the same thing. So as a result, I don't get as much out of it. Mm. So I leave my mornings open based upon how I'm feeling and what I feel that I need. So some mornings are more prayer focused. Some mornings are meditation. Some mornings are reading books. Some mornings are uh, reading the word. So it just really, I just try to keep it engaging so that I stay engaged. And I don't just say, oh yeah, every morning I get up and it's 15 minutes of prayer and it's this and this and that. For me, I don't grow. Mm. I'm growing more now spiritually than I ever had before because I'm really keeping an open mind about what God wants to reveal to me and how he wants to reveal it to me. You know, it could be a motivational talk that I put on YouTube say, oh yeah, I needed this today. So I just try to, you know, stay in the moment and to listen to what God is saying on the inside and let that dictate the things that I do to align myself spiritually each day. What do you feel like you're learning spiritually right now? What do you, anything in particular that you feel like God is really trying to teach you? I think the biggest thing is something I was saying earlier is that I was raised in, in a faith that was very focused on the doing mm. and the rewarding. Oh, you do this and you get that. And I think that there's a lot of merit. You know, I don't think that that was malicious, you know, how we were indoctrinated into religion, but I am learning that that's not God. Mm. God loves us, period, end of story. There's nothing more I can do to get more of God's love except accept it. That's it. You know, I can't work my way into it. I can't preach my way into it. It's already there. It's a fact. It's like, just like now I'm breathing, right? 
I can breathe deeper and take in more air, but the fact that I'm breathing is the same thing of God's love. And so not trying to live an achievement-based way of life with God is, has been a major thing that I'm learning, you know, ex- living in more of the acceptance of God and the, and the love of God and the presence of God and say, okay, wow. And then I do, I live a certain way because I'm, I'm aware of that love and I accept that love, but I'm not trying to live a certain way to be loved uh, or to be accepted. For me, what I'm learning is, you know, God is love, love God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He didn't condemn the world. He didn't hate the world. He didn't judge where he loved the world. Mm. So if God loved the world that to that degree, I'm learning to not only love him, but love myself and to be easier, right? So in my experience, a lot of Christians are very judgmental, extremely. I feel- <laughs> No, that is not true. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I feel like Christians are judgmental because, because if, if I can't love myself and accept myself, then I can't love you and accept you. If I judge me, I'm going to judge you. Yeah. If I feel like practicing religion is restrictive to me because of how I practice, then I'm going to try to restrict you. Mm-hmm. But if I'm loving, I can love you. If I'm free, I can free you. Mm. If I'm peaceful, I can give you peace. So I think there's so much judgment because there's a lack of acceptance. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm missing the mark. You're okay. We're going to be all right. If God expected perfection, he would not have put us these, you know, suits of clay, as Pastor Williams would say. It's just he wouldn't have put us in this flesh. We have to learn, right? Like, okay, that is, that's not an excuse for the flesh, but we're in, we're in flesh. So there are some things that come with the flesh that we have to learn how to navigate and deal with and say, okay, God, you know what? Yesterday, hey, yep, I fell down, but I'm so thankful I can get back up and thank you for your love. So I'm learning love and I'm learning Uh, less judgment. And I'm learning to be more peaceful and to give that peace to others, hopefully. There's a great book. It's called How God Changes the Brain. And it says, it's by two neuroscientists. They're not Christian. And it says exactly what you're saying. Essentially, the God we believe in is the God we become. And so I think it's 72% of Christians see God as angry, as critical, as judgmental and distant. And so then we become angry, critical, judgmental Christians. But if we see God as love or free or mercy or grace, we become loving, graceful, merciful people in his reflection. And so I just wanted to add some stats to what you just said, because it was... I love it. Back it up with some facts. I like it. I know that journey of feeling like I'm trying to earn God's favor. I I know that experience and it's exhausting. Exhausting. And, And it's impossible. Yeah. Because there's nothing, it's, think about it. I mean, you know, uh, you're a parent. Your children have to do anything to earn your love. You love them. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, and, and if you probably saw one of your children like trying to really show that, oh, I want mommy to love me, you probably say, no, mommy loves you. Like, so okay, yeah. don't get, take that off your list of things to worry about. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do that, that will get me out of loving you. So now that we have that, now let's talk about how we're going to live. So for Christians, if we can get to that place, it would change a lot of things. Romans 2, 4, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. You've accomplished a lot, uh-huh. okay? I know you, you said earlier you haven't made it. I mean, my humble opinion would be very different. I would look at you and say, oh, oh my goodness, this person has totally made it. How do you stay grounded? Is that a conscious choice? What ways in your life at this point are you choosing humility? Uh, every day. Okay. Every day is a blessing. Every moment is a blessing. Having these opportunities is a blessing. You know, being able to do this new book is a blessing. So, I, you know, I don't, um, yeah, I don't look at it as anything other than that. 
I, I like that. Just stay in a place of gratitude. Wow. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for letting me do this. Thank you for just so grateful to be used and to had a clear idea of my calling early in my life and pursued that and, and it has led me here. So, you know, it's not, it's not hard work to stay humble. For me, it's a way of life. Devon Franklin is the author of It Takes a Woman. It is on Audible. It's an Audible original. You can go to Audible right now after you finish this episode and download it. It is fantastic. Devon, my tagline for this season of Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. I'm a communication professor and I just want people to take ownership of their communication of their faith, both online and off. What do you think it looks like to live a faithful life as a Christian today? I think to live a faithful life as a Christian implies what does it mean to live a faithful life as a follower of Christ? So when you look at that, you say, okay, well, what is the model that Christ set before us on this earth? And and that is a model similar to the things we were talking about earlier. Uh, One, acknowledging the Father. Two, loving, not condemning, instructing, helping, accepting. Uh, So when we talk about the life of a believer today, a life of a Christian, I think it's found in those things. The only people that Jesus consistently talked against were those that were very religious. Uh, I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of times we've allowed religion to be our God versus allowing God to be God. Mm. The faithful life of a Christian today is one that also not only accepts themselves, but also accepts somebody else for where they are. Everybody's on a journey. Everybody's on yeah. a journey. And so often we want to judge somebody because they're at a certain point that we don't think they should be. Well, you don't know how that person's story is going to turn out. You don't know how God's going to use whatever they're going through, whatever mess, whatever poor decisions to reveal himself to that person. So instead of saying, oh, that person's this or that, or you got to stop this or you got to stop that. mm -mm. If you want my advice, I'll give it to you. But beyond that, I'm going to love you and I'm going to accept you for where you are and when you are. And I think if we could try to do that more, then maybe being a Christian would be more appealing to those who are not. Thanks, Devon Franklin, for joining us for this episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral, and this is where I give you some direct strategies you can implement into your real life that will help you be a better communicator and connector both online and off. Here is your Growing Viral homework. I just want to encourage all the single moms out there who are overwhelmed that their work and their prayers and their commitment are seen. Something you can do to help support a single parent is to offer to take their kid for the weekend or offer to pick them up from school or offer to help with their homework. I have three kids and this year, all of them kept getting sick back to back. And honestly, all I could think about during this experience was how hard this must be for single parents. If you love someone who is raising a family on their own, be a support to them. Don't make them ask you for help. You just offer it.
Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Next week, we will talk to York Moore about conversion and what it sounds like when God speaks to you. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.